Great church, take your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord this morning. What a powerful time of worship. Hope your heart's already been blessed and encouraged. Looking forward to diving into the Word of God. I want to go ahead and encourage you right now, buckle your seatbelts, all right? Mark chapter 13 is our passage today, and we are looking at Jesus' end-time forecast, all right? Jesus' end-time forecast. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is not a time to be afraid. This is not a time to be nervous, not a time to be scared or worried. Uh, We'll be looking at it in great detail, but buckle up. We're going to cover a lot of territory in a very short amount of time. How many of you have a smartphone? Uh, Hold your hands up or hold your phone up in the air real quick. All right, you have the weather app, I think, comes on the phone, at least on the iPhone it does. You go to the uh, weather app this morning, it is 100% chance of rain. But as you go to that app, you get to see a 10-day forecast, all right? All winter, I've been looking every week at the 10-day forecast. We've had a couple times where we've had thunder, and if you're from the south, we hold true to the test of if it thunders, you know, within 10 days, you're going to see snow. We have not seen snow all winter, kind of discouraged, a little disappointed. I like to see that one time a year snow, but that 10-day forecast is is important as you're making plans. Whatever it says on the the forecast, just disregard because it's probably not going to happen like that 10 days out. It's so far in advance, it's really hard to to know what it's going to be. In fact, you can pretty much count on it's probably not going to be that way. In fact, what other job can you be off that much and still keep your job? I mean, seriously, you know, sometimes these weathery forecasters, I remember back in the day growing up, they would call for snow and we still went to school. I mean, you never got a break and you'd be at school and then they'd have to send you home in the snow. And then I think, uh, I don't know, it was 2000 when we had the 20 inch snow, kind of changed all the rules in the Raleigh area. Now, if they think there might be snow in the vicinity of the whole entire state, State. They shut down school and everybody's off. And I can't tell you how many times my kids have been home and there was not one single snowflake and uh, they're out of school. So who knows? Uh, it's just the, way, the world we live in. But you know what? Jesus predicts what's going to happen. His disciples are saying, what does the end times look like? How can we be prepared or what are we to look for in this uh, season? And we're studying the events in the life of Jesus that led up to the week leading up to the cross. We're almost to the uh, crucifixion, and then we'll see the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And a few days before the crucifixion, Jesus uh, reveals some of the details about the future. He's giving an end times forecast. I invite you to tune in to Mark chapter 13, beginning of verse 1 says, As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and, and what wonderful buildings. They're looking at the temple. And and Jesus said to them, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another uh, that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things will be. What will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. You will hear war of wars and rumors of wars, and uh, don't, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. He says, nation will rise against nation. He said, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. 
These are but the beginning of the birth pains, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to the councils. You'll be beaten in synagogues. You'll, be, you'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated for all, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be what church saved. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts this morning. But I don't know the spiritual condition or where each person in this room or that we watch online right now live or, or during the course of this week, where they are in their spiritual journey. But Lord, you do. God, I pray this morning you would speak to hearts. God, would you convict those that know you as Lord and Savior, convict us of any sin, anything in our life that's keeping us from that right relationship. And, and Lord, I believe that as we were talking about revival earlier, I believe that begins with confession as the church begins to confess our sins and, and get right with you, get right with one another, get right with each other, God. I pray that you would do a mighty work in our hearts and lives, God. And Lord, for those who do not know you as Lord and Savior, that this morning would be that moment of decision that you would convict them and draw them to faith in Jesus Christ this morning. And Lord, I pray as we look at these last days and the, and the end times, uh, Lord, before you come to take your church, your bride home, God, would we look forward with anticipation of what you're going to accomplish and ultimately, God, being with you for all of eternity in heaven. God, would you do a mighty work in our hearts? Stir our hearts this morning for the lost around us. Give us a, a passion to seeing to come to faith in Christ. God, we'll be careful to praise you for what you're going to accomplish this morning in your precious name. We pray, amen. The most important event in the future is the return of Jesus Christ. And in Mark chapter 13, Jesus gives some of the details about his return. And, and in this first part of the chapter, he's predicting three things that will happen before he returns. He predicts that the temple is going to be destroyed. And, and he gives in verse 3, he says, There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The disciples Coming into Jesus, he was, they were talking about the beauty and the size of the temple and how magnificent it was. And it was the second temple, Herod the Great, spent 40 years in the equivalent of billions of dollars to upgrade and expand the temple. And as beautiful as the temple was, Jesus knew that the time was coming, it would be destroyed. He says not one stone is going to be left upon another. It's going to be completely destroyed. And it was an audacious claim. The temple was the main symbol of religious worship in the Jewish nation. And it was God's dwelling. It was believed to be where the presence of God dwelt. And so it would be equivalent somewhat in, in the United States of, say, going to the, the Capitol building, say, this building is going to be destroyed. There's not going to be a single stone, not a single uh, cinder block or, 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 or stone left on this building is going to be completely destroyed. And for an American, you think, no way. There's absolutely no way in the world that's going to take place. And But folks, if you remember 9-11, you remember the, the Twin Towers, which was a sign of freedom and prosperity and, and liberty and all of those things. And it was destroyed just like that. 
before long it's completely leveled and and he's saying it's not going to be any time before the temple is going to be destroyed the reason the temple was going to be destroyed was because god had visited jerusalem in the person of jesus christ they refused to see him as god as the messiah and they thought peace was being delivered from the Roman occupation. But Jesus brought, brings a different type of peace. He brings an inner peace. He brings a relationship. It's not about cold religion. It's not about all the thou shalt nots and the thou shalt do's. But he, he gives us a relationship that surpasses all human understanding. He gives us ultimate peace. There may be people listening to me today that are making the same mistake. You haven't recognized who God is and that Jesus is the only Son of God. He is the only way to a perfect relationship with God. And He is the peace that you've been searching for. That, that God-sized hole in your heart can only be satisfied through a relationship with Jesus. And I pray that God will open your eyes to the, to the truth of the gospel this morning. But this prophecy was fulfilled exactly as Jesus predicted. So that uh, forecast of the end times was 100% accurate according to prophecy and, and the fulfillment of that. As number two, we see Jesus predicted the rise of disturbing trends. Jesus, the disciples asked him for a sign, say, what should we look like, what should we look for as the end times begin to approach? And Jesus said in verse eight, they're about the beginning of birth pains. He says, this is like a woman who's going into labor. There are certain signs of, of labor. And my wife, having had four kids, uh, I know a little bit about the labor process. Uh, but she had C-sections for all of them. So, uh, you know, we went through that period of being in labor. And then they, you know, send you in for a C-section after all. And then after a while, it just becomes a, you know, a habit. You just keep having C-sections. But, you know, they talk about what the signs are. And there's certain signs when a lady's about to go into labor while her body begins to transition and things begin to take place, letting her know that the coming of the baby. And as a, as a dad, I was so looking forward to driving the car at like 80 miles an hour down the highway with the flashers on, you know, hoping people move out of the way so I could get that. Anybody else want to do that? And maybe it's just me. But I wanted that experience of driving. Never happened. We were at the doctor's office and they said, we're going to send you right next door to the, the Rex Hospital Birth Center. And, and so it was just more of a, we're just walking across the, the parking lot to the, to the birth center. I never got that experience. But, you know, I wanted to have those certain signs of what it was going to be like. Uh, we went through all of the Lamaze class back in the day and the breathing techniques and all of those things. And, you know, I was so pumped up and excited and none of that happened. But he says it's going to be like the birth pains. Be looking forward to the time when Jesus gonna, Christ is going to return. These are like birth pains for an expectant mother. That's the analogy you, Jesus used to describe certain trends, certain things are going to be happening. He said there's going to be a spiritual confusion a time where people are so confused about the truth of God's word. Jesus said people will be showing up claiming that they are the Messiah. Do you realize that today literally hundreds of people have come on the scene and claimed to be the Messiah or sent from God? And that today there are over 270 different major religions, thousands of smaller cults and religious groups Ron Hubbard was a science fiction writer in the early 1950s. He wrote 
a, a, a book entitled Writing for a Penny, a Word is Ridiculous. If a man really wants to make a million dollars, the best way to do so is to start his own religion. He went on to start the Church of Scientology. Uh, today, uh, Tom Cruise, uh, certain uh, 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 John Travolta, uh, well-known American actors have bought into this. And it's a cult. It's a false religion. And, and they have some whacked out uh, religious views. But Ron Hubbard, as he passed away in 1986, it's estimated today that the Church of Scientology brings in over $500 million a year. Folks, you want to make money? Start your own religion. But the reality is it's, it's leading people straight into a Christless eternity. There's more spiritual confusion today than there's ever been. There's military conflicts. Jesus said, be looking. He said there'll be wars and rumors of wars. And of the 6,000 years of recorded human history, it's estimated that there have only been about 200 years without some major military conflict. Sometimes a, a, a rumor of a war can be scary. We remember uh, different times in, in history where North Korea is, is uh, throwing out all these threats and, and, and trying to scare us. And we, we see Iran, we see all Iraq, we see all of these countries over the years that have been threatening and, and causing war. And, and we see what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. And, and uh, let me just tell you, China and North Korea aren't sitting idle. There are lots of things happening but folks, that's what Christ said is going to be like in those last days. Wars, rumors of wars. He goes on, he says, natural calamities are part of that process leading up to when Jesus Christ is going to return. There will be earthquakes. He mentioned these in scripture and he said they'll be felt in various places. You might say this morning, how many earthquakes they've been recording and measuring them since around 1900? Uh, there are approximately 130,000 earthquakes or tremors of earthquakes in the course of a year. Uh, of those, only about 13,000 are strong enough to be felt, and about 1,300 are strong enough to cause some damage or possible death. Just this past Monday, in Syria and Turkey, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake rocked that portion of the world. Earlier in the week, as I was working on this, I, I, I put this, this data in here. And, and at that point, there were around 11,000 confirmed deaths. And they said it was the worst earthquake that hit that region of the world in decades. Last night, as I was finalizing everything for today, that, that number has doubled. It's over 22,000 people have been killed. Heard a pastor just this morning say, he said, that region of the world over in Syria, one of the cities, the ancient city of Antioch is Antakya, which is in Syria, and it's been absolutely devastated. And if you think, he said that the church was first called Christians in Antioch, and they were supporting the early church and the, the persecution, and he said, today that city has been devastated by the effects of, of an earthquake, and it's all pointing to the fact that one day 
Jesus Christ is going to return. These are the birth pains. These are the signs that Jesus is getting ready to return. And folks, I'm not an alarmist, but the frequency of earthquakes is increasing. We've had multiple earthquakes, even in North Carolina. I remember just about three or four years ago, there was one. We felt it here at the church here in Raleigh, and, and it's, it's mind-boggling. And I, I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't, I didn't grow up around earthquakes. I didn't experience a lot of that stuff. But uh, Aaron Killian was our, our worship pastor at the time, and he used to live in California. And he came into my office. He's like, did you just feel that? We just had an earthquake. <laughs> when you live in California, you're used to that kind of stuff. But uh, it's happening even around our area, folks. It's signs of the times of Jesus' soon return is coming. Number three, Jesus predicted persecution against his followers. In verse 13, he says, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be what, church? Will be saved. There have been three main waves of Christian persecution through the years. First wave was not long after Jesus ascended into heaven. And literally thousands of early believers were tortured and executed for their faith. This period lasted for almost 300 years until Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity. The next wave of persecution began in the 16th century as part of the reaction against the Protestant Reformation. Thousands of Christians were killed because they forsook the official teachings of the Catholic Church. The third wave of Christian persecution is going on right now, church. Over the past 100 years, more Christians have been killed for their faith than in any previous 100-year period. Most of this takes place in Islamic republics as, as thousands of Muslims are returning to faith in Jesus Christ they're disowned. They're often killed for their confession of Jesus being Lord and Savior. Christian persecution will happen. Christ is saying, count on it. You know it's going to happen. It happened in Christ's day. He said, it's going to happen. They hate the words of Jesus. Let me give you three challenges. We can bear witness to Christ even when persecuted. You say, Pastor, you have no earthly idea. You work in a church environment. I mean, how awesome is that? Your coworkers know Christ as Savior. I go into a completely dark office everywhere. I'm not talking about the lights are off, but people, lights are off, uh, spiritually speaking. And people are walking through, and you think, there's no one else in my office that I know of that proclaims to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He says, many of these early Christians were tortured. They were, tor- they were put to death for, for having a relationship with Jesus. But folks, they said that what happened is many of the Roman soldiers that would put these Christians to death ultimately threw off their armor and professed faith in Jesus due to the witness of the early saints who were dying for their faith. The people who were putting them to death were so convicted by their witness They would put off their own sword, their own armor, and confess faith in Christ and were killed on the spot for their own faith. The church father, Tertullian, wrote, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You might be facing death for your faith. You might not face death for your your faith. But folks, what happened is when you're criticized, when you're ostracized, when you're overlooked because of your faith, when you're laughed at by family, by, by co-workers... How do we respond to the 
persecution of the New Testament church. Jesus says it's going to happen. Don't react in anger or bitterness. Show them the love of Jesus. This Tuesday night, our, our life group was studying in 1 Peter chapter 2. And one of the things that really stuck out in our study was when the world becomes increasingly hostile toward Christians, the church must become increasingly holy. When the world becomes increasingly hostile, the church must be increasingly holy. It ought to transform us. We ought to proclaim and lift up the name of Jesus in such a way that they see Christ in us, the hope of glory. But he goes on and says we can carry the gospel to every people group. Jesus said in verse 10, the gospel must be first proclaimed to who? All nations. Jesus says we're to proclaim the gospel to all nations. The word nations doesn't mean countries like you and I might think with borders or governments. It's the word ethnos, which is literally ethnic or people groups. People of every tribe, every tongue, every nation need to know that Jesus Christ loves them. When, even with the threat of persecution and arrest, we take the gospel into dangerous areas of the world. We have missionaries our church supports, organizations that we support, and we can't tell you even where they're at today because they're in danger. And to, to point them out, to, I was watching a, a mission conference a few years ago, and uh, missionaries are coming across the stage, and they were, they were introducing them. And they're going to Brazil. They're going to uh, different places around the world. And there were certain ones where there was literally a screen up there, and the people came and stood behind it. All you could see was the silhouette of them, and I thought, wow. They're in places around the world where it's illegal to preach the gospel, and yet men and women and children are going into those countries to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only way. Thirdly, we can stand firm in the face of opposition. Verse 13 says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. The end may not be the end of this age. It might be the end of our life. But in a time when our culture is sinking in the shifting sands of popular opinion, and morality. God is looking for people who will stand up. People who will say, I believe in God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the three in one. Folks, what happens is as we confess our faith in Jesus, it's not going to be popular. Martin Luther was a Catholic monk who started reading the Bible for himself. He wrote out 95 examples or theses in which he thought the Catholic Church had committed heresy. He took a hammer and he nailed it to the, to the church door at Wittenberg. He was arrested. He was put on trial for heresy and later excommunicated from the church. Persecution is going to grow against believers in America. And church, if you don't believe that, you haven't paid attention to Scripture or what's happening in the news the church is going to be persecuted. As we continue to preach the uncompromised truth of God, life, about marriage, about God's word, it is transformative, church. It goes against the norm. It goes against the culture. And it radically stands in the face of sin. And folks, as we stand up for what's right, we are going to be persecuted. He says, hang on, buckle up, it's going to happen. He goes on and says, after Jesus takes his bride home, There'll be a time of global chaos. 
Verse 19, Jesus says, For in those days there will be such tribulation as had not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Let's look at a simple timeline of events in the end times. The very next thing to happen on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. Folks, I'm looking forward to that day. In fact, as a father, I used to pray selfishly, totally selfishly, God, come back before my kids start dating and driving, all right? And every, every dad is like, don't want to have to deal with that. Don't want to have to deal with the, the boys coming around or the girls coming around. I mean, so selfishly, before dating and driving, God, would you come back? And, and, and now I'm sitting here thinking to myself, no, but there's a possibility of grandkids one day. And yeah, I'm looking forward to those things. But folks, the reality is just God is going to come back. He says, Jesus says, those will be such tribulation. And so that when the church, it's when Jesus returns to the clouds to take his bride, the church, back to heaven. And he'll take us to his father's house. Jesus doesn't talk about the rapture specifically here in Mark 13. But Paul writes about it multiple times in the New Testament. In fact, it's the event that ushers in the period of global chaos. The word rapture doesn't appear in the New Testament and say, so we believe in the rapture? Yes, we do. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, The Lord himself would ascend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will do what, church? Rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. I use this passage often at a graveside, at a funeral, because it's a reminder, this is not the end. Really, it's just the beginning as Christ is going to one day come and rapture the church. He's going to take those who've already gone before us uh, in the air. The phrase called up is the word harpazo in Greek, but in the Latin, it's raptio. It's where we get the word rapture. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be what, church? Raised, raptured, imperishable. We shall be changed. In other words, there'll be a moment Jesus comes. That time, millions of believers who make up the church, the bride of Christ, will suddenly disappear, will go to to be with the Lord. That event is going to be the most catastrophic natural disaster to ever occur on planet earth however it's not a natural disaster it's really a supernatural departure as as christ comes to take his his church home but you can imagine the chaos that will uh, ensue over the communication world the transportation world the infrastructure imagine the news headlines i mean you can only imagine uh, whoever the craziest person on the news is imagine them reporting folks all over the world it's complete pandemonium as as planes the, the 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 pilots are raptured i know a number of pilots and i'm thinking to myself you know what if they're in the air at that moment that plane's gonna be unmanned <laughs> so you better be right if you're on that plane you never know how all the people driving down the highway that's gonna be raptured uh, with the bride of christ and all suddenly there's an unmanned car flying down the i-40 most days there looks like there's unmanned cars 
flying down I-40. But you know what? Uh, it's not coming yet. It hasn't happened yet. But one day Christ is going to rapture his home. Imagine they're, they're running a, a, a touchdown pass. They throw the ball. And the person they throw the ball was a Christian. And they're caught up in the air. Uh, you know, you can only imagine uh, what was going to happen in the, the, the pandemonium worldwide. Uh, after the last three years, folks, nothing uh, nothing <laughs> seems out of the ordinary, but this time is often referred to then after that is the tribulation. In fact, the word uh, the, in the King James, the, words, the word of God says in Matthew 24, Then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. There have been terrible times in, in world history, plagues and Pestilence. If you go back to the children of Israel and in Egypt and all the the, the 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 plagues that they faced, all the famines back in uh, Joseph's day and and droughts and and wars. But Jesus said this particular time would be more terrible than any previous time in history, more horrific than any time after it. When you compare the scripture with Daniel and Revelation, many scholars believe the tribulation will last seven years. The first half of it won't be that bad, but the last three and a half years will be the most awful time in the history of mankind. John describes this chaotic event, uh, tribulation in Revelation chapter 6 through, through chapter 18. There's seven seals to a scroll that are opened. That each seal leads to a kind of judgment on the earth's inhabitants. The seven trumpets are sounded. Each trumpet announces a harsher affliction. Finally, seven vials or bowls of wrath are poured out. About this time, you might be getting a little nervous thinking, well, what, what about us? I mean, I can't imagine being here with all these terrible things happening on earth. If you know the Lord, you are part of the church. You're part of the bride. And the word of God says we won't be here. I'm convinced uh, for a couple of reasons. One reason, if you read the book of Revelation, the church is mentioned 26 times in the first three chapters. But then during all the other chapters describing the tribulation period, there's not one time that the church is mentioned. The church is only mentioned once in the last chapter. It says, when we are the church eternal with the Lord. At the very end, Mark Lowry was a Christian comedian. Uh, He's uh, entertained crowds for the last 30, 40 years. And, he was giving a, a, a talk, he was, he was telling jokes and telling stories about his childhood. He said, the church I went to, he said, we went to a, a Baptist church. And he said, we got a new preacher at our church. And he said, all of a sudden, the new preacher started teaching that we were going to be alive or here on earth during the tribulation. And he said, my dad didn't believe in that. And we didn't believe that way. So he said, we went across the street to a different church that taught that you weren't going to live during the tribulation. He said, I used to feel so sorry for those people at the old church. He said, all they had to do was cross the street and they didn't have to live through the tribulation. And I hear him tell the story. I mean, that was that everybody's absolutely rolling laughing. But he said, you know, we're not going to be here. But he says, the moment of the rapture through the rest of eternity will be with the Lord. But during this time, a global leader is going to stand in the temple and demand to be worshipped. He's going to demand to be worshipped. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 15, When you see the abomination of desolation 
spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place. He says, let the reader understand. He's wanting us to understand there is a plan, but God has a plan for his church. Don't be afraid. Be prepared and ready. After the church is removed, you can imagine the global chaos. But it ushers in a world leader who will rise up and bring all the nations together. I was talking to someone earlier. They said they were studying about this very moment when the Antichrist comes on the scene in their Bible study this morning. And John calls him the Antichrist. This leader will bring the remnants of the nations together in a global alliance. Every time I fly on American Airlines, I cringe when they say, uh, American Airlines is a member of the One World Alliance. I'm thinking to myself, ooh, this is terrifying. It's kind of scary, but folks, uh, it's just a group of airlines around the world. No big deal. But anyway, uh, it says it's a part of the One World Alliance. But Jesus spoke about the abomination that causes desolation. There's a sacrilegious action that's going to be carried out by this global leader. Daniel mentions the abomination that causes desolation three different times. Here's what he predicted in Daniel 9, 27. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. On the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. We know that the Antichrist will at first appear to be a peacemaker. He, brokens, he brokers a seven-year covenant or a peace treaty. And we don't know the, the parties actually involved in the treaty, but folks, imagine if there was someone who could bring the Jews and the Muslims together and somehow broker a deal where they come together on common terms and there's peace. The Jewish temple or tabernacle talks about being rebuilt uh, at, at this time and folks if you go there today you'll see the the Muslim Dome of the Rock occupies this very place uh, on the the Temple Mount and having gone there and seen it for my, my own self and, and seen the, the the steps of the temple where you, ha- you could think of where Jesus walked where he ministered where he uh, worshiped it's, it's awesome just to imagine but folks many people respected Jewish leaders actually believe the the temple was about 200 feet north of this dome of the rock either way whether it's destroyed or it's built next to it there'll be some leader that's going to bring everyone together the jews and the muslims and ultimately the temple will be rebuilt it'll be a place for the antichrist to stand and do what daniel and jesus called the abomination that causes desolation what an abomination for the man to stand up in God's temple and declare that he is God and should be worshipped. When he does, the Jewish priest will walk out. The Jewish people will stage a walkout. The, the temple will be desolate. You can be surprised when Satan desires to be worshipped as God. Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. He tried to get Christ to, to uh, worship him there on the mountain. But folks, when he's tempted... Jesus in the wilderness, Satan wanted Jesus to bow down and worship him. That's the same thing that the Antichrist is going to desire. Then we see, lastly, Jesus will return to win the final battle and establish his kingdom. When I told you to buckle up, it eventually gets better. Because for those of us that know Christ as our Savior, 
We're not going to be alive. We're not be here on this earth during the tribulation. But he says in Mark 13, 26, then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory and power. One day Jesus will return at just the right time to protect his people from the Antichrist and his forces. And folks, it's going to be a short battle. In fact, it's just a word that's having to be mentioned. It's the climatic scene in the book of Revelation, John writes in Revelation chapter 19, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire on his head or like diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, the name of which he is called the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Talk about a touchdown on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, what a day that's going to be when Jesus Christ comes back. And, and folks, the only weapon used in battle will be the word of God. The only uh, will be the word that proceeds from the mouth of Jesus. Martin Luther understood this when he wrote the words. He says, a mighty fortress is our God. He said, the prince of darkness grim. We tremble not at him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. Jesus will speak and all be over. Church, what's the application? Let's come back to from the future to the present. None of us know the day or the hour when Jesus is going to return. But one thing is sure, he says, we must be ready. The spring of 1980, the blue skies above Washington State became obscured by steam rising from Mount St. Helens. Geologists warned an eruption was imminent, and residents living in the area were ordered to evacuate. State troopers and forest rangers entered the area with loudspeakers blaring, Danger! 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 Evacuate the area immediately. Flashing road signs were, elected, were erected that said, Warning! Evacuate immediately. There was an 83-year-old man named Harry Truman, no relation to the president, who operated a lodge on Spirit Lake about five miles from Mount St. Helens. He laughed at the warnings. In fact, they argued with him to leave and he stubbornly refused and was ultimately granted permission to stay. He said, nobody knows more about this mountain than old Harry and he wouldn't dare blow up on me. On the morning of May 18th, 1980, Harry woke and probably followed his habit of feeding his 16 cats, then fixing his breakfast for himself. At 8.37, Mount St. Helens exploded with the force of a 23-megaton atom bomb. The air was instantly heated to 600 degrees. Harry never heard a thing because 
a shockwave of energy traveling faster than the speed of sound radiated out from the blast. It was followed by a 50-foot tall wave of mud and dirt that flattened everything within 150 square miles. The eruption was followed by a cloud of ash that covered everything to a depth of 150 feet. They never found a trace of Harry, his 16 cats, or his cabin. And I wonder if in that millisecond, when the mountain was getting ready to start erupting, if it ever crossed his mind, you were wrong. You were wrong. You were warned. You were given every opportunity, every chance to get right with God. And you were wrong. You see, sometimes people say, well, Pastor, I just don't know if I believe all this. I know this is what the Word of God says, but I'd ask you this morning, what if you were wrong? What if Jesus is going to return again? He came the first time. History has proven that. In fact, everything that's been projected on the timeline, the forecast, of future events to have happened has happened with 100% accuracy. What if you were wrong and you were banking on the fact that, you know what, my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds. I was christened. I was baptized as a baby. I was, I was, my name's on the roll. I've done all these good deeds, Pastor David, but I've never placed my faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says at any moment, the Lord Jesus can return in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, God has placed warning signs all along the road of life. There have been signs of the times that are happening every single place. All the false teachings, the wars, the rumors of wars, the, the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilences, all of these things, church, are happening right now it couldn't get any clearer Jesus Christ is gonna return and it could happen before this service is over say pastor that's scary if it is it's time to get right with God right now why put off and risk eternity because of pride, because of selfishness, or will, unwillingness to submit to the Father's plan, folks. What we have to say is, God has placed warning signs everywhere. He's been calling the church, He's been calling us to repent. For those of us who've heeded the warning, we will escape His judgment against sin. But some people today are laughing at the Bible and they refuse to heed God's warning. I wonder this morning, are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready to meet God? He is coming again. Church, it's time we prepare. 
For those of us that know Christ as our Savior, this is a time for confession. This is a time of saying, God, I want to get right with you. I want to experience revival in my life, and I want that moment when you return to take your bride home. I want to be ready. I want to be waiting, anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. What an awesome moment to be raptured straight from a worship service like we're experiencing this morning and go straight into the presence of God. But folks, we ought to live every moment as if he could return right now. This is a time of confession, a time of getting right with God. If, if we have a, something wrong with a brother, this is the time to go to that person and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I've had the wrong attitude, the wrong spirit towards you. Or you offended me and I want you to know uh, I forgive you and I want it to be clean. Get right before God. Get right with your spouse. Get right with your kids. Kids, get right with your parents because we don't know when the time is going to come. He says it can happen any, any moment. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning.